0: Okay, we are ready for the last panel of the day, uh, and I have no doubt it's going to be the best. So I hope everybody's got their attention. Product tankers seem to be the, uh, well, well, one of the hot places to be in shipping. Um, Froda Mercadal is the moderator. Froda, come on up. Introduce your panel.
1: Can you put oh, up the again, slides, please? Yeah. We have the slides Thanks. for the presentation. It's
2: all good. I think you here, right? Okay. How many no, uh, there, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have the
1: slides for the presentation, please?
3: Uh, slides.
2: Back to
1: the audiovisual. Oh, no oh, slides? What do you mean? Can I grab
2: They say they have no slides. There's can you, can we go under it? This
1: phone is uh, on Oh, yeah, right here. Let's so make sure.
2: You got scotch.
3: I'll move over. No, I'm oh, so i move yeah. over to the end. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because they oh, the goes there. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Yeah, he was just First. here. So Maybe think, think, think slide But, like, nothing. <laughs> exactly. right. so. yeah. Yeah. Where are we going? I, I think you're, you're here. here.
2: moderator this morning. He's,
1: he's the, the handsome guy. He's the handsome Now
2: he's wearing a jacket. Have we got the right chairs. Have we got enough chairs. <laughs> no. Should I go? Okay. This one doesn't work. How's um, Angelina these days? Oh, I haven't seen it, right? Happy as... Uh, oh, yes. Doing well. Doing well. Kids good. are good. Everything's well.
3: Oh, good. Great. Ah, oh, yeah, aye.
2: Yeah. Get her? Anybody got Everybody got a mic?
4: We're waiting for some slides.
3: Don't you do another photo.
2: cocktail,
4: but. Okay, let's introduce the panel, I guess, right? Um, so we have uh, Bart Kelleher from uh, Ardmore, CFO, and then we have Michael Skov, the CEO of Huffian. And then uh, Robert Bugby, president of Scorpio Tankers. And then on the right, uh, far end, Ted Petrone, vice chairman of Navios Corporation. So uh, I'll have some slides and I'll show you just a picture and then we'll try to discuss that. That's the format. And um, I'll basically ask you to comment and uh, have a uh, question to that. So, Just waiting for that first slide, uh, that would be great. Maybe uh, while we're waiting, maybe you can introduce yourself and just talk about the fleet you have. and Let's start with novious partners.
2: You're going to start with the, uh, the odd duck here because we have a diversified fleet, but since this is the tanker panel, I'll talk about the tankers. We have 47 tankers that we own, uh, 11 are crude and the rest are product tankers. Um, we played a little bit differently, I think, than some of them on the panel here. We sort of arbitrage the time charter market, and we can talk about that as the panel goes along. Scorpio. How many ships do you have?
3: I uh, we're pure play products. Um, most of our vessels are in uh, MRs, the medium range, and the and the we have the biggest long range LR two fleet. Yep. And we have everything on. We have 92% of the fleet on the spot market. Great.
4: Hafner?
1: Yeah. So similar story, really. Pure product tanker play. Uh, we own uh, around 125 product tankers, but we also operate another 85 through Pools, so uh, well above 200 altogether. And a bit like Scorpio, very spot-focused with basically 93%, 94% uh, in the spot market.
0: And then uh, similarly for Ardmore, product tanker focus and chemical tanker focus, and, um, and, and currently 100% exposed to the spot market.
4: Uh, Yeah, this is the first slide. It's just uh, I want to talk about the near-term market first. So this is just uh, showing you the freight rates, MR rates. uh, For some reason it keeps changing, but uh, the rates have been down from last year, but still very good. Roughly 30,000 per day. Um, Is somebody changing? Yeah, so the left-hand chart shows you the MR rates, right? Uh, So roughly 30,000, as we speak, uh, been pretty steady uh, down from last year. Um, But my argument is that even at 30,000 per day, uh, you have an annualized EBITDA of 8 million. Uh, So the right-hand chart shows you, you know, if you buy the eight-year-old ship, which is roughly the average ship that these guys have, um, the payback is less than four years. Uh, so, you know, even if rates are lower, it's uh, pretty good, right? Uh, next slide shows you the, you know, current snapshot of diesel inventories in Europe, which are low, and you also have had very good refining margins uh, for a while. It's come down a bit recently, but, uh, you know, the backdrop looks very good. So I'll ask you all to, you know, tell, you, tell us, I guess, on the, on the, what, what do you think about the near-term spot market, so uh, I'll just throw out a few topics uh, that you could discuss if you like. Um, Right, Uh, you have the inventories as I said, Um, you know, export ban has been in the news, you have had geopolitics, oil prices obviously, seasonal effects, winter is coming, and what's the role of arbitrage? You know, feel free to discuss what you like. So let's start with Bart. What's your outlook?
0: Uh, I think we have to keep in mind, um, I mean, you're you're noting the rates, like, lower versus last year, but still tremendously high from a historical standard, and the fact that we didn't see such pronounced seasonality this summer, um, and we're building on that base now for for a number of the reasons that you noted, um, and and in particular, looking at that diesel inventory level in Europe and, and how much it has declined. Um, and that we're heading into a winter market. And we have to remember that last year there was that significant build ahead of the, uh, the February embargo. So we're actually about to see a full winter market um, where you have Europe sourcing from much greater distances. And I think we think that that's uh, a really powerful catalyst. Uh, but I'll uh, pause there and let the other panelists chime in.
4: Michael,
1: are you feeling bullish? Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we have been, basically, uh, going into this year. Right? And I think in general terms, nothing we're seeing now should really be any surprise. I mean, if you look at you know, the past many, many years, I mean, Q3 was always a weak quarter. Q4 has been stronger than Q3, basically, as long as we can measure. And interesting enough, in Q4, um, you know, October has actually been one of the weakest months in any case. So we're not... I think there's way too much focus on daily fluctuations in general. We're going to continue to have seasonality and volatility as we go along, right, just at higher levels. And, and, you know, I'm not so sure that it does anyone any favors when I read all these analyst reports that are reporting every day that MRs have gone up 5,000, down 5,000. It's more confusing, I think, than helping. I I think fundamentally the market has the same factors and, and seasonalities that we've seen before, just at higher levels. And... I do agree with you, uh, Bart, as well, that uh, looking at inventories and having been drawn down as much going into a winter uh, has really set the market up for, we think, a very, very, even further strengthening.
3: Okay,
4: that's good to hear. Robert, what do you think about the market?
3: It's fantastic. You, you, I mean, it's, um, you know, as a group, um, you know, just look at it on the facts. June is July has been better than June, August has been better than July, September is better than August, and October is starting better than September. That's a pretty good trend, and the world oil inventories haven't got anything, you know, got any better, and now we're turning towards winter. If you were to look at a graph and see that development, and also see that when we started off in July, there was quite a wide spread between the voyage routes that were doing the best and the voyage routes that were doing the worst. Now that has consistently come in a much narrower position. So in all terms, that, to that graph on a technical basis is very strong. And as Michael says, I mean, this is so early. I mean, we're not even, you know, normally for years we've spoken about, you know, a week before, or a week after Thanksgiving. I mean, you know we're only just starting collecting our pumpkins, right? And, you know, we're probably going to have our Christmas presents way before Thanksgiving. And the market is, is, you know, like on a knife edge because it's happened so steadily. And you talk about sometimes Wall Street climbing the wall of worry. Well... I mean, that product market has just kept climbing, kept climbing against any worry that's been there, whether it's oh, more OPEC cuts, whether it's Russia not going to give any oil out. I mean, it, it's, I think it's only because Wall Street is just looking for excuses just to stay on the edge of the swimming pool. And it's only which week. They're all coming to the party. I mean, all of us are meeting more investors, new investors. You know, the one-on-ones are growing. All our week is just expanding people. So everybody is sort of walking into the party and they're walking towards the pool. And they're also sort of looking around waiting to see whether it's okay to take the clothes off and jump into the pool. Well, either someone will lead them in, or there'll be so many people coming on the patio that they'll get the people at the front will get pushed in. And that's just when because the rates we know that the demand will get stronger. It doesn't matter about what people are talking about recession next year or the fear on oil demand, etc. What are you going to do between now and January, February? We're not going to stop taking our kids to school. That's not going to happen. And even in recession, the elasticity of demand at the beginning is is oh, it's quite quite stiff. It doesn't go straight away. Mm-hmm. And every single oil analyst says we need more products over these next months than less.
4: So seasonality is the key thing in the short term. Winter.
2: No, you, no, no, he, the
3: demo- Sorry, me. No, he's.
4: He's shaking his uh, head.
2: <laughs> You're right. Um, seasonality can have an effect when the market's tight. If your overcapacity is five or six percent and you have seasonality, it's going to be a very small bump. But right now the market's so tight that seasonality is going to have a huge effect here and, and that 's what 's happening. Uh, what I love about this is what I love about shipping. These three companies representing to my right, play the spot market better than anybody else does. They geographic arbitrage, they product, pri- product arbitrage, they price arbitrage. We arbitrage the time charter market. We lease it out to others who direct it on a daily basis, and we 're deciding what we do short, medium, or long term in terms of where we think we are in the cycle. We could time charter it to Robert or put it in Michael's pool. I, I, you know I, I think, have you heard the term, higher for longer? I think we're higher for longer. I know you asked the short-term question, but I think it's higher for longer. Okay. I, I, sorry, I just want to say, well, the reason we'd like to, we can do long-term deals, short-term deals. Let me talk about the short-term deals. If we put the ship out for a year, the probability of the ship coming back to a market no worse than it is today is, is very good. Uh,
4: okay, let's... So Robert, uh, cut you off, what's the main driver uh, in the near term? It's not seasonality, uh, apparently, okay, but... It's just underlying demand. We're uh, still, we're still demand. going
3: higher up post-Covid at the moment on a, you know, on a world basis. So you know, that's the first thing, is you've not just got a movement to the winter season, you've got an underlying strengthening in demand going on at two. Okay. You know, already, you know, consumption of gasoline, jet fuel, else is up this year, year on year, and you've got a fleet that is, you know, for all intents purposes, flat. Soon to get less because they won't be able to move around so fast in the winter.
4: Would you dare to put a number on how high rates could go in this winter period? So if I go back to this chart, like it's last spring or last... Uh, Winter? 60? Could we reach 60?
3: It's a difficult thing because last winter was such a mild winter. So, in one sense, demand could be higher. But as was pointed out, there was also some pre booking to Europe because of the um, supply. So, you have to balance those things out. I think if you You know, the world is a very peaceful place right now with a war going on in Central Europe and one developing in the Middle East, right? So there's no fear of oil supply. So there's no reason why anyone should want to dash out and get their oil. I'm being sarcastic. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you have fear put in there combined with a normal winter, the rates that you have on your chart don't really, they of course can go higher. Yeah. Disturbance in the Middle East by itself would take the rates way above that.
1: I think, if I can add to that as well, <clears throat> you shouldn't forget there's a lot of sentiment in, in these discussions, right? So basically, if you come from a $20,000 market and it gets tight, then people are happy to get to twenty five or twenty seven, right? Because they're afraid it's going to be losing out. The reality is now the next time the market is tight, People have been used to looking at fifty or $60,000 when the market is tight. So there won't be that ceiling where people are going to be concerned about asking for more. And I think that's a strengthening factor. So every time you see these pauses and up again, you know, you're going to have a stronger sentiment every time, right? And that means people are going to push harder. So um,
3: to, to back my club, we go back to what's your high on lr What's your high on that one? Uh,
4: this was just MRS, I guess. So...
3: Okay. But but I mean you have your daily rate on MRs at LRs to do like forty a day or something. Yeah. Okay. We're already getting outliers. Okay? We already fixed at sixty six thousand today. Oh really? So as soon as you get outliers coming in, that's not what the average is, okay? But the very fact that you can fix that in August the tenth means somewhere in the world there is a, a position that is tight, as Michael says. Mm. And trading desks It's all about fear and greed. So if you have a market already at 40, it is so much easier to push it to 70 than if you had the market at 20 to push it to 30.
4: Hmm. Makes sense. Any other comments on the near-term market before we head to the long-term? Uh, yeah, this slide just repeating. I, I don't know what's happening with it, but uh, <laughs> okay, it's entertaining. It's yeah. good entertaining. <laughs> that, that, okay. that, that's your way of extending the cycle, going. right? Yeah, cyclical. <laughs> you know, repeat, 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 repeat. You know, I skip. wanted to, the long-term picture uh, because the previous panel talked about peak oil, uh, so I just wanted to highlight this long-term secular trend. So the left-hand chart shows you seaborn trade of products as a percentage of Percentage of the total market, so world refinery output is like eighty four million barrels per day twenty nine percent of that is ebon trade, right so that means like seventy percent of the market is uh, local refinery in Germany, whatever producing for the local market um, that percentage has been steadily rising almost linearly. Uh, if I can get that slide back again, this one. Uh, so, even in a peak oil scenario, I guess you could argue for uh, more of the export oriented refineries taking uh, more of the, that pie, right? And that is also reflected to the right hand chart, shows you the average miles, which has been moving higher. So, that, that's the great long term picture, which people like, right? Uh, do you agree with that? Um, and what's What's your long-term outlook, and do you have any view on this peak oil stuff? I'll just dis- let this slide run. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, if I, I can maybe kick off, I think the, um, I think what you're showing is actually a pretty good illustration of, of how we should look upon the long-term market. We've had demand increases, both in absolute demand and ton mile, as long as we can all remember. Every single time the market has been bad it's because we have, Order too many ships that will come in. And, and I look at your slide as well that indicates how older ships are having less utilization. So if you look at the market long term, the reality is we have no chance of building the ships that will be required for the next five to seven years, in my view, at all. Not even if we all went out collectively and, and ordered as many as we could. So I think that's the, that's the biggest difference from what you've seen historically is that it's not because we are more disciplined and, you know, we don't want to do it. It's just impossible. And I think that's what people should focus on. It's the supply side that basically dictates that we're in, we think, for a longer run uh, because the, all the shifts that were built in 2004 to 2009 are now hitting this grabbing age. And they're hitting it at a time where there are almost no new builds and yachts are occupied by other ships types than tankers. And they're hitting at, at the time where prices are historically high for new boats. I mean, you want to go out and buy a new boat tanker, you know, for delivering 2027, and you're going to be paying 25% extra just to get dual fuel engines on, right? And the residual risk has suddenly changed because the ship will live until 2050. All of these arguments means that none of us are going out big time and ordering new boats. So I think the supply side is what will drive this market stronger for longer uh, going forward
4: any Bart, do you have any views uh, I, on the
0: no i mean I certainly agree with that and i think too in the medium term i mean you, you have the theme that you're pointing out of the incremental refining capacity that's being built in the east i mean it's low on the cost curve the incremental barrel moves to the west so um, i think that theme you know continues to play out um, and, and, and one where, you know, the and I think the prior panel touched on it as well, there's there's the practicality of with energy transition, there's energy reality and energy security themes today. And um, you know, we we've seen that reverberate through Europe and, and other geographies and um, I, I think there, you know, there's a, a pragmatism approach that it's going to take a long time to have a transition, so you have this existing fleet that's going to see really high utilization in the medium term.
2: Okay. Ted? I, I would say that uh, what drew us to the product tanker uh, industry section um, after we bought the V's was this ton-mile issue that was going back from 2000s, early 2000s. Um, that's been exasperated. Um, as we've said now, that you have more refineries being built out in the east and the clean's going to come back to the west, although it's going to circulate back out in the east. I do think um, that the refinery issue is, is big. I think, remember one thing, it's about, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, about 60% of the clean product that moves over the water is related to transportation. And that's why I think China was so big there. Everybody was running, moving, even though the, the real estate issue was a problem. I think you'll be seeing the world continue to go out of pandemic, uh, more cars. I know that there's electric stuff, but this thing about peak oil, can I, you just brought it up. You know, it's either tomorrow or 2040, according to who you listen to. I think we should just all remember that it's not a cliff, right, it's just a peak and it may just drop down slightly so we don't have any issues. I mean, honestly, we, we're doing new building deals delivery two years from now for five-year deals with, with first-class things. Just they're seeing the same numbers we are down the road. So the shorts, right, the, the major oil players and the major oil majors, they see the same numbers. So they're looking down the road and saying, I just need steel. And so I, I, to us, I think what happened is all the people that were moving oil that needed fleets, for the last 10 years, they could have gone spot 95% of the time and they were better off. So their portfolio was 5% long-term charters. That's probably moved to 20 to 25%. That's why there's a lot of interest in period deals these days. Okay. So,
3: so nearly all renewable projects as a group are moving to the right side of the curve. Yeah, you need to... Make- Sorry, I- nearly all renewable projects as a group are moving to the right side of the curve. Um, you know, the U.S. is pretty much of a mess at the moment in, in doing that. Then Europe has been postponing various things because they've got so expensive and governments are doing things. And you know, there are a whole lot of countries who are more interested in just getting their economy and people moving around, like South America, India, a lot of the countries in Asia. And these are the customers of the product anchor ships. Remember that the US exports products. Europe isn't really a big factor in the ton-mile part for products. So I think that you know, the, the, that peak or that discussion is obviously moving to the right as well. And to be distracted by that worry at the moment when you're facing a situation where you more or less got the same inventories entering winter as you had exiting winter last year, on one of the warmest winters on record, it's kind of, you know, it's like a dangerous distraction. It's it's irrelevant. I honestly don't think that any of us in our our daily positions are worried about peak oil or peak anything for this point. And the shareholders, let's face it, we can all agree peak oil is not coming in the next three years, so we're already well beyond most investors' investment horizons, right?
4: Yeah, Yeah, maybe it's a distraction. I don't know, Michael, Do you think people who have ordered ships think about this peak oil, or is it something distraction? <laughs> does it matter? Well, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm sure everyone does, right? But I think there's probably also people that are thinking, well, there will be oil moving around in 25 years, hmm. and the question is just how much, right? So you can't say there will be no need for tankers in 25 years. I think there will be. So the question is more about, you know, where do you place yourself, right? At the moment. You know, it, 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 the order book is still limited, so I'm sure people think about it, but, you know, it, it's, it's obviously also a calculation that if we do think that supply will constantly be less than demand, you have to remember even when you reach peak oil and it starts dropping, you know, most likely supply will drop quicker than demand. So just because we reach peak oil doesn't mean we're going to have a weak tanker market. That could go on for 10, 15, 20 years. So I'm sure that's part of the rationale as well for people that are, that are ordering ships. Yeah,
4: this slide is from you guys, uh, Hafner, which was uh, from your investor presentation. Uh, the right hand side shows you the aging of the fleet, the number of ships turning 20, and, which is growing a lot, as you see. Uh, and on the left hand side, you showed uh, utilization of older ships. So that, that was really surprising to me. Like you can see that there's been a real declining trend in terms of utilization of older ships. Uh, what's driving that, do you think, given the strong market? Uh, it's... Yeah, but
1: I think what you're seeing is the beginning of more pressure on older ships, right? And I think we all talked about environmental regulations, etc. And, and you're now seeing it. I mean, utilization has gone down. And this is even before most of those regulations have hit us hard. So, yeah, it's almost like an indirect scrapping that you're seeing, right? So that comes on top of an already tight supply situation that we already talked about. So yeah, I think these are, it's important to bear in mind uh, when you think about fleet development in general
4: terms, that you do have the hidden scrapping already for older the ships. Any other, that has any view on this utilization of older ships? What's the impact of age, the aging of the fleet for this I, I, market?
2: Know, if you go back to that, I, I think it's been holding, uh, if I'm reading this right, right, 48, 49, uh, it, that's because of the war. They'd be down further today if it wasn't for the war and the sanctions.
3: That's a great point.
2: So this is an artificial number to assert. Now, if the war ends by the end of this year, which is probably not going to, um, Europe's not going to go back to, uh, you know, an unreliable supplier. Yeah. So I think that works like that. And, and let's just say something out loud. Um, IMO has saved us from ourselves <laughs> because um, you don't know what the engine to put in. Um, we don't know what the next fuel is going to be. If it wasn't for IMO, I think the product tanker order book would be double. Uh, So I think going forward, um, these older ships become less reliable. And, you know, I know there's a lot of issues with the IMO and CII and the EXI. Um, There's going to have to be some corrections in it. But just remember, I think Lois said it correctly before. Every year it gets a bit more stringent. And maybe if these ships can't even scrap, they're really not going to be tradable because it's a governmental action that laid out these bandwidths. But it's going to be the market that dictates who trades and who doesn't trade. It's going to be, it's going to be money and, and are you're going, you going to even make OPEX if you're a 23-year-old ship with a bad rating.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, we've faced where we've seen the headlines of, oh, the product anchor order book has, has grown. But to put it in perspective, when you look at that older fleet um, and, and really the zone of ships that will be in that 20-plus, Scrap age is, is nearly 40% of the fleet relative to the order book today, call it 9% or so. So I think for the naysayers in the market, um, you know, certainly to a downside scenario, um, that actually provides quite an effective floor um, and, and some buoyancy overall.
4: OK. Robert, do you have any view on that supply side? What's versus order book?
3: Yeah, I think first of all the order book is a little bit inflated because a lot of those product tankers will actually trade dirty. You know, it's the way that you present the um, the order itself because every shipyard wants to announce the highest revenue for their own shareholders and their own lenders. So many of the contracts start off with, you know, price of a product tanker, but inside the contract is the option to actually end up making a crude oil tanker. So I don't think the the order book is what it is in all you know practical purposes, but I think that agree with all the others. the The environmental regulations is getting you know tougher and tougher and tougher, and um, you know that that's going to 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 act as a break anyway on any form of expansion of the fleet. But again, it's another issue where that's the future, long way away. And the present is, you know, it's clear and present right now that the fleet is not growing, the demand is growing, and we're already at quite elevated rates. And as you pointed out, you know, I mean, the the rates we're on right now, um, you know, and we've all agreed that, you know, or even less so two weeks ago rates, you know, is about a three-year cash-on-cash payback to equity. Yeah, exactly. It's very so. I I, I would prefer to go long, the you know the three four year outlook, than short against when peak oil is going to come, or when the supply side will overwhelm the demand side.
2: Interesting. I I just one thing to go on the back of what Bart said. I just we look at it a little differently. I I think the product side, twenty five to one hundred twenty five thousand deadweight, the order book percentage of the fleet and the percentage of ships that are over 20 years of age is almost exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I think it's like 9.8, something like that, percent for both. So where's the fleet, where's the growth for the next few years? I mean, these these guys are absolutely right. Hmm.
4: Yeah, the slides have stopped working, but the next slide, you probably, yeah, now it works. No, that's not a good one. The order book, uh, well, the yard capacity, I think, is interesting, right, because... You know, this left-hand side slide shows you the global order book that has any order, which is down a lot. And uh, I think the product tanker, the yards that built product tankers are probably even lower. Um, So there's going to be a struggle to basically replace all these older ships, right? Um, And you know, as the yards have built up their backlog, there's a clear correlation on the right-hand side with price of new builds, so that, that's probably going to rise. So what's your view on this new build? Uh, there's been, who, who has ordered ships so far? Uh, none of you guys have ordered ships,
2: but, uh, and why not, right? Um, well, you, I mean, we've ordered ships, and, but they're covered. I mean, we wouldn't be ordering ships today without long-term cover. Uh, we're ordering MRs and LRs, and we've got signatures. Again, I'll go back to long-range viewing. Uh, ships delivering two years from now, uh, sec- uh, second quarter earnings. You can see the, the MRs are getting 23 for five years. The LR2s are getting 28 for five years. I mean, that's a seven-year horizon. So um, th- th- these gentlemen are fixing much shorter than we are. Short-term, obviously, they're doing spot. We're doing short on the time chart of the ships in the water. But, you know, you can get good deals at any part of the market. I mean, if you, you can go to, we're paying above 20-year prices, right, for assets. But our residual value risk is about 20% after the end of the five years. So there are some deals there that can be done. And again, I think the shorts, there's a little panic going on here on some of the major oil traders and and oil majors who are looking to think, I need steel down the road.
3: I I think the return factor for, uh, it's just not attractive to order new ships, even if they're covered, because you're you know, you're not getting that. The math says you're better off buying a a ship in the water and you will get that return anyway. You'll pay down much more of that with, you know, buying a 17-year-old, a 7-year-old or a 5-year-old ship. And something even better than doing that for most of us would be buying your own stock. Hmm. Now, there may be exceptions where you may be doing things with partnerships with certain partners for ex- for example who are, who are willing to do things but that's just generally what the mathematical position is and that i think is fundamentally where i think you've got a different generation now i think most of the managements are conscious about return on capital to to shareholders and the value of what they're doing they don't need to necessarily spend you know money i mean Each of our fleets is slightly of different age, but they're certainly young in comparison to the general market. So the math says that it's just not a big enough return to order new ships for far out delivery. And that will get harder and harder because this is where it does matter. Because just maybe your dynamic changes in 2030 or 2028 or 2029 and you start to shift, just maybe. And so therefore, your risk of ordering a new ship delivering 26, 27 is much more expensive and more riskier, because you've got money down and waiting, than it is to do something prompt today. Mm -hmm. That's why I think they're not ordering, along with all the other factors of we don't actually know what fuel to use for it. So
4: Michael, do you agree?
1: Yeah, very much so. No, I think that's also our view and, and, and hence why we've kind of stuck to uh, look at second hand as well.
4: So what would need to... Uh, I guess you need to have long-term cash flow or something like that to order a ship. Some, did, you, did you risk it? Is that the, the, the way to think about it?
1: Yeah, and I think that, that's, as Ted said, I mean, I think we've all been looking at some of these deals, right? And there are a few deals here and there that you can do with five, seven years, but they're all special projects mm-hmm. rather than, you know, just a regular product tanker. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, I think in order for new builds to go up in activity, I think you need to get to a level where people have more visibility and more faith In the very long term view of of oil demand and supply, right? And I think we're getting to that point now where it becomes more evident that that spread is there to stay. And I think at that point, you know, maybe some people will get more confident about it. But I agree with Robert right now, it's actually about having ships on the water. Mm -hmm.
4: Okay. The last topic is. uh uh, the macro backdrop. I mean, uh, when I talk to investors, I'll, people like this story, right? It's the easy to to look at the order book, aging fleet, oil demand, this long-term trend. Um, what holds people back, I guess, is you know fear of a macro event, recession, and expensive stock markets. Um, does that impact your own decisions to, when you operate the? company. Uh, And also, if you look at this left-hand side, um, you see the price to NAV historically. Uh, I guess all this is embedded in that valuation, right? So how how important is this low valuation when you do make decisions on capital allocation? Can we... Let's start with Bart. Uh,
0: Sure. I think, I mean, you know when we're going through the um the interest rate cycle and you know certainly the, the views of higher for longer um you know the, a, a theme of, of i think all of us have de-levered you were, we're lowering our break evens you're making the companies you know stronger for the um the next cycle um i, I think as as we've talked about like the supply scenario is such in the the starting point for demand today that if you have a wide range of views of potential forward demand, you know, kind of looking ahead, it still is a a very net positive story. Um, And I think that makes it unique from, you know, kind of our starting position today. Um, And and going back to, you know, allocation of capital um, and, and the discussion of new build versus second hand, I think it also then comes to that there's a key story today for investing in your current fleet um, and above and beyond what you would be required for regular CapEx to make the vessels more efficient. And um, those incremental CapEx projects, you know, typically it's very short payback, one, two years, you know, very, very high IRRs. um, And and so we see a continued pathway for that as well, uh, while at the same time being able to return capital to shareholders um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, through stronger markets, um, you know, really building on that track record.
4: Michael.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, well, first and foremost, I hope that, that you know, we'll get a little bit away from this uh, price to NAV as we go along, right? Because I think that reflects a historical view on our business that was really based on shorter cycles. And therefore, naturally, you find, you know, it's tough to give you a multiple on earnings because you always saw these cycles change quickly. Uh, I actually do think now that the, the, the time has come for the reason we talked about, that you should think more about a multiple going forward. Um, so so that, that's, that's kind of my comment on it. I mean, I think, like anybody else, I think we've also been focusing quite a lot on on investing and building, and now it's really about more returning capital to shareholders. where we are now. Um, and... Um, yeah, so as I said, I mean, I, I do believe the time has come to look more on forward earnings than maybe price to NAV.
4: Sure. Robert, you mentioned earlier that there was a lot of interest of investors, you had double bookings and up here. So what's your f- feedback?
3: Oh, my feedback is what I said, is that lots of people are standing around the pool waiting to wonder when they should jump in. Because, the, you know, the investors are fundamentally intelligent people. They can, re- they can do the math probably better than we can on the returns on the present rates, etc. But, you know, you've got to have a little bit of sympathy that right now, you know, there's a lot of things to worry about in, in the the little picture when you talk to us how confident you are in the product market that little picture product market super confident how confident are you of the general world finances and economic position starts to get a bit great you know you, you have to have some kind of respect for the fact that it's going to be pretty unpredictable what, what could happen in the middle east now, from shipping, most of those things are actually positive to the rate structure, you know, re- regretfully on a humanitarian basis. But the, you know, the same as the Russian war is, but it still puts some unpredictability and, and shake up in there. The next is is that you know not everybody's having a great year in the stock market. We're coming to that sort of funny time, and um, the next part is that you. It's, it's just that. They haven't had much information. They haven't, I think they need to have the third quarter results. I think they need to see the rate structures that are developing so far for October, November bookings. And it might well be a case where this thing continues until you, you just get forced capitulation when the rates actually move. So I don't think we should be worried about or even actually care about the movements of the stocks on a monthly or two-monthly basis. I mean, even this graph kind of way shows it. It shows the extreme falls, you know, in two eleven post, you know, the the, the the crash, and then you see another one in 2021, which is obviously, you know, COVID-related. I actually think, in reality, the stocks were trading pretty much in line with net asset value. It's just that there were so few trades done, no one had to actually take the values of the ships down. If you actually were a forced seller in that period, mm. I think you would have found the stocks that have been pretty close to real net asset value. So I think that w- what, we're in one now, right now, where the financial uncertainty is overwhelming the actual industry fundamentals, and you know, that that in... Strong rates cure everything. If we, if, if we have strong rates come Thanksgiving, the stocks will be up. If we don't, the stocks will be down. That's it. Okay.
2: Good. Ted? I, I think you talked about the concerns about the macroeconomic environment, which is very challenging. The geopolitical uh, landscape is even more challenging these days. Um, our answer to that has been to diversify our fleet under one umbrella and have counter-cyclicality that allows us to do um, short-term deals, like Robert says, which are probably the better deals, and do the longer-term deals for long-term cash flow. So, uh, uh, but I think on the product side, I mean, everything is flashing green going forward. I I can't, you you try to poke holes in it, right? And everybody's groupthink is good, so that scares us, right? So we're trying to poke holes in it. It's very difficult at this point.
3: Yeah, I don't think the groupthink is good because the stocks are showing that groupthink is not good. The stock, the stock prices are showing that Groupthink is really worried and doesn't buy into the cash flows that are that, that are coming. But as I said, that's fair enough. There's no, no complaint.
4: Okay. Great. On that note, uh, let's wait for Thanksgiving and see. Very <laughs> <where> sorry. <it's> <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah.